Welcome back to another episode of Chats with the Starving Artists. Thank you guys again for listening. Thank you guys for following. Thank you for all the comments, the feedback, the ads, the reviews. If you haven't left a review, be sure to do it. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Let me know what you think of the discussions that we're having, the dialogue. Let me know if you're an emerging artist, you need help with anything. Don't hesitate to reach out. Got a special few episodes today and, and on the horizon as well here in Tokyo. Um, with a really, really dope creative group of guys uh, from different parts of North America. And uh, on today's episode, I got good friend, good brother, and a really, really good dope creative, Kenji Summers. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for taking your time, man. Very, very grateful and appreciative. Real quick, tell us who you are and, and what your creative dis- who you are, where you're from, and what your creative discipline is. My name is Kenji Summers. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. My creative discipline is creative marketing. And that's shown up in careers in advertising and events and hospitality mm-hmm. and now in uh, in marketing of consumer products. Okay. Creative marketing. Have you always wanted to be in that lane? And I think that's even an interesting sort of way to not necessarily label, but just kind of classify your form of creativity. And there's not really, if you look at just the marketing landscape, nobody really talks about like creative marketing. They just say marketing, you know, and activation and, and, you know, you have the different verticals of that. So, you know, how did you kind of come to, to figuring out, you know, and even putting yourself in and, and, you know, even asking like what your form of creativity is to to get to, you know, get to that point. Yeah. I come clean. I don't think most marketing is creative. Right. And, uh, some of it may work in terms of driving demand or creating demand. Yeah. However, you know, I, I believe in something a little higher than, you know, economics. So, yeah. you know, because I do, uh, I'm forced to believe that, or I choose to believe that we all are, are made in the likeness and image and such, we are creators ourselves. Yeah. And if we're not being creative as an expression of our creators, then, you know, we kind of lost. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's like... And I've been saying this a lot recently, but, you know, the great Guwai said, without the sauce, you lost. <laughs> Sometimes you get lost in the who, sauce. Can you, can you let, let people know who Guwai is? Uh, Guwai. Gucci Mane. La Flore. <laughs> uh, La Flame. Um, you know, the iciest. But, um, you know, rapper, trap rapper of the 2000s primarily. Yeah. Uh, put on some of our, our favorite artists of this generation, Nicki Minaj, Waka Flocka, the list goes on. Um, but I think he's just a really good indicator of kind of, you know, what can happen um, on the street level. And then when you get to, you know, these corporate jobs or you, you get some type of commercial success, now you're you're kind of, you you tasting too much of your own sauce. Yeah. And, and in that case, you, you know, you lose direction. So, you know, my thought is, you know, you got to bring more seasoning, you know, <laughs> bring you more reasoning. That was that was the Kenjiism for today, right? That was the Kenjiism for today. Kenjiism is uh, just a little bit of a philosophical um, spit that I, I put on Snapchat. But um, for just my close friends. So uh, you can follow me on Kappa Kenji if you want to be one of my close friends. Okay. Um, but yeah, man, like most marketing isn't creative. And you know that. And I think that's why you do what you do. You know, you've, you've had a profession in advertising, career in advertising. You know, even at the top creative agencies or the top brands that are about creativity, it's all about the dollar. Yeah. And um, you need dollars in order to 
create dope stuff, but I think it's up to each individual to bring creativity to their role. And, and my role is demand creation. So as a marketer, right. I choose to be a creative marketer. Okay. So what's your role right now? Just so yeah. everybody knows, so those that don't know you, that those aren't familiar with your work, you talked, you spoke about creative marketing. Mm-hmm. How do you create in that in that area, or even you know, for more <laughs> normal terms, what's your job? Yeah, what do you my, do? My job, um, my job on LinkedIn says, brand marketing manager, Eastern Territory for Nike basketball. Right. Um, I think it, it's, it's better for me to kind of speak about the philosophy I have and kind of how some work has happened in the past, even before Nike, because, you know, it, it's something that I'm kind of in right now. So I like to talk about something that I'm currently doing. Yeah. I mean, well, going to help. Before, um, yeah. But I mean, listeners as much. Yeah. I was going to say, like, what is, you know, what is that Eastern Terror? Like, what does that mean? What does that role mean? You know, what oh, are your, what are your, you know, what do you, how do you, how are you creatively marketing it within that role? Uh, sure thing. Um, so, I mean, Eastern Territory, where I work, can, includes Boston down to Miami. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like I'm just a part of a bigger team. And this is why I say, like, creative marketing that I probably have done would have been in previous positions, probably, like in advertising or at Summit Series or at uh, when I started and worked on with a group of people, Passport Project, it was later became Passport Life. Yeah. Um, so... You know, when I think about the title of this show, is Starving Artists, I think a lot of people want to rush to get the jobs at Nike, you mm-hmm. know, and they want to be, you know, incorporated and they want to have the, the title or they want to have a business card, they want to have the connections and all of these are great. And I mean, I, I wouldn't trade my job for the world, but um, I think what's most important is establishing like what your code of ethics will be, um, what your vision um, is, is forming to be, yeah. um, what your mission is. Um, and what your plans for success is going to be. Um, and from there, all those jobs, all those brands, all those agencies, whatever you pursue, um, will kind of land in your lap. But it took me a while. Um, I went to school for sport management. So yeah. I was supposed to get a job in sports afterwards. And uh, Nike, I think, would have been like the ideal job then. Yeah. But it took me about, uh, say, seven years to kind of navigate the waters. Uh, of marketing to kind of get to this place. Yeah, I mean, you said something a second ago that's interesting. You know, Chaz was a starving artist. You know, and a lot of people, when I've done things underneath the starving artist brand, because that's the name of my company, the Starving Artist Initiative. You know, the starving artist is a metaphor. So you can be a starving artist, right? You can be a, somebody that creates in whatever form. And you know, I actually last year in, here in Japan. I met with an artist, Kanta, my buddy, and I've said this a bunch of times before. He said something to me. He said, you know, we're all artists called uh, called humans. So it's interesting, right? So everybody's, in my opinion, like with that being said, like it's changed my kind of thoughts and point of view on it. We're all creative. But, you know, chat, chats with the starving artist is a metaphor. You know, you could be starving to get out of uh, what you're currently doing to get into something else and pursue your passion. You know what I mean? Or you could literally be an artist that's creating and starving for resources or starving for money and starving to feed yourself or starving because you're hungry. Or you could just be starving to, to to accomplish your goals. You know what I mean? So it means a lot of different things. And, and sometimes people look at it from a negative point of view, like, oh, man, that sounds bad. I'm not a starving artist. And it's like, it's not about that. You know what I mean? It's an initiative to help people. And that's why I named the company that to help people that and artists and creatives that are starving. 
But I think I want to actually back up, though, and look at, you know, you were talking about how you've coming out of school doing sports management. What what was your journey? How did you actually even get to Nike right now? Like, I know that. Right. So I think from what I recall, and I kind of can let you expand on that, you, you, you intern at Converse. Then you came out of school. That was kind of your familiarity with the brand. You came out of school got a media planning role what what was your path to get to nike and like Mm -hmm. how did you even get there what made you say hey i want to go on this side because you you actually from a creative point of view have had experience um and i think both of us have and and some of our other peers have had experience on the agency side have had independent experience as an entrepreneur and then now you have experience on the brand side so what's kind of been your journey like coming out of umass amherst um what what you know where did you you, was it was omd the first gig uh, actually, it was Media Edge CIA. What? Media Edge CIA. Media Edge. Okay, so uh, that NBC, was the first gig. NBC Interaction. So, um, that was the first gig at college. I'll, I'll rewind to, it was after freshman year, and all the freshmen at that point, you know, like, oh, well, I'm going home, you know, it's yeah. a long year, you just want to, you know, catch your breath. I was like, yo, nah, like, I need to get an internship. Yeah. Because you know, I'm not coming from where everybody else is coming from. Coming from bed style, do a die, keep the girl, shoot the guy. You know, like, <laughs> that was where I was from. And so I was like, you know, I don't want to go back home and then hang out. And yeah. Then, and be a statistic. You know what I mean? Like, that was, that's real. And, and wherever you're from, in any town in America. Yeah. And so I said, all right, I'm going to contact one of the brands that I know used to sponsor the leagues I played in as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I remember because I had the shorts and they said, game over. And so I said, you know, let me hit Game Over Up. They had a website. And they actually hit me back. They were like, yo, mm. come in for a, uh, an interview. And this is, I'm 18, 19 years old. And I came in. It was, I remember it was uh, off of 34th Street. Came in for a diner uh, with Eric Hicks. And uh, we have Mark Waldman. Eric is the CEO. Mark at the time was uh, second in command. And I, I told him about my playing experience as a basketball player in New York. And then going to college and majoring in sport management and having finished my freshman year and I had a pretty good freshman year. And I'm like, cool. Well, but you try. also play. You can't leave out the fact that you hooped. Uh, oh, sure, sure, sure thing. <laughs> can't yeah. leave that out. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I mean, I, I played in New York City in a time when, like, the New York Gauchos and Riverside Church Hawks were, like, dominating the AU circuit. I mean, you had some of the, in my opinion, the greatest streetball players, you know, at the time. You take even Ray for Austin, who my opinion, maybe one of the greatest uh, of all time. We're coming out of um, New York, and you had Omar Cook, Henny Satterfield. Yeah. I mean, you had Rice High School, Christ the King. Christ the King, Christ I remember. Yeah, all these names. Just yeah, saying. so, I mean, these these are powerhouses, man. They, they travel kind of like how you think about Michigan with Jalen Rose, Chris Webber, Juwan Howard, and them. That was high school for us in New York. Yeah, Eric Barkley. Eric Barkley, amazing. St. John's was a powerhouse, yep. you know. So I'm coming out of that that culture and you know I was like well you know of course like every athlete and I, you get hurt mm-hmm. and, you know you don't get to play in front of the scouts that you need to play in front of so all my offers were D2 D3 so I chose to go to UMass and it kind of was you know a bit of a humbling experience because I thought I was gonna make the basketball team just walk on you know didn't happen um tried out had some really good tryouts dudes on the team were like yo you should play but Coach is tripping. I'm like, whatever. But I'm majoring sport management, so I'm managing the basketball team as mm-hmm. I'm trying out. So, you know, I'm getting that experience and I'm learning what it's like being a college athlete and then what they're thinking about post college. So, you know, I learned a lot about, you know, the things I can even get to work on now to this day, you know, uh, at the place of my employment. But 
you know, coming in out of that internship um, at Game Over, I got to, you know, do merch, basically, and sales and help with events. Mm-hmm. You know, they did a one-on-one tournament with Master Regard and the Knicks and, and McDonald's. You know, that was my first internship. We did that all throughout New York, Connecticut, and New Jersey. That sounds dope. So that was cool, you know, and um, didn't get paid, but got credits. Then flew into, let's say, going into senior year, right? Get an internship at Converse. Mm. And that just changes the game. Because now I'm in a building in which, at the time we had Dwayne Wade. Right. And, I remember. Wow, I forgot right? about remember that. that? that was, he was the, that was his first shoe contract. Right. That wow. Was four away away. So you had, um, uh, <laughs> you had Jameer Nelson, you had Kirk Heimer. But I mean, the, the, the deal was, <laughs> it was Dwayne Wade, right? Yeah, yeah, he was and the guy. They had just done like a spot with Rick Ross. You know? Yeah, wow. You remember that? Yeah. Yo, this is crazy. So this is all that time, man. I'm there, man. It's 07. Um, and I'm up in North Andover, Massachusetts, uh, staying in Merrimack College's dorms with a bunch of other interns. So that was what busted open for me because we would play basketball on Fridays with all the staff. But then I'm learning about, like, this is a huge company. Game Over was, like, grassroots. Like, they're doing it. They're making everything happen by themselves. Then you take Converse, who just got acquired by Nike. Mm. And my first That's an interesting time. Work, yeah, we had a global sales meeting. So... You went little Converse, selling probably the most popular shoe in the world, one of the most popular shoes in the world, the Chuck Taylor, the Converse mm-hmm. All-Star, now getting acquired by this behemoth, you know, which is what everybody looked at on the swoosh ass. And then all these 90s that flying in talking about, like, what, what's Converse going to do now? Like, what are we going, how are you going to make things happen? Yeah. And I'm going to was intern, packing bags, for, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, literally. And uh, you know, coming out of that, you know, I graduated college a little early and rushed down to New York because I felt something about to happen. This is right before the recession. Mm. So I felt that, and I got an internship at Sport, at Strategic, which is a sport entertainment uh, marketing agency, kind of like consultancy. It's kind of like, yo, I know you, you know them, let's work together. Yeah. And I'm going to hire some people to do events. Yeah. So that was the guy's like thing. He, he worked, he owned a brownstone in, in Manhattan, and at the first two floors were his business, top hmm. two floors were his home. That's dope. I need that in my yeah, life. I mean, not mad at it. Had like 15 people working for him. Mm. Um, that finished up. That was three months. I was stipend, I think, actually. And um, then I got my job at Media Edge because I met a good brother named Franklin Burris, who's a member of my fraternity, mm. who worked at ESPN. And I met him through another brother of my fraternity named Thomas Brandon, who was working at, uh, or actually, I met Thomas Brandon at MEC, Media Edge, mm. through Franklin Burris, mm. who's working at ESPN, both my frat brothers. Right. Uh, from different places, actually. Right, right, right. And I, So the network was there. The network was there, thankfully. You know, that was one of the things that I benefited from in college, which was um, going through membership intake for my fraternity. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, now I, I land this interview. I get this job. I do this job for long enough to where, and shout out to, Fra- uh, to Francis Poku, who got me my first job. Amazing brother. Um, went to Howard, mm. HBCU, um, and other HU. Um, <laughs> we won't discuss that. Yeah, yeah. Go he ahead. Took, he took a chance on me, and I, I, I thank him to this day, man. And uh, I remember him laying me, he sent me down during lunch one day. He was like, "Yo, you have Plan A and you have Plan B." Mm. He's like, "Me right now, I'm living Plan B. So no matter how good this looks, I'm not doing what I want." Yeah. And he's like, "Right now, you're living Plan B." Mm. And I was like, "It's funny because he's my manager." Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He tell me to quit. He tell me I should quit. Should think about quit. But I stuck it out a little bit. Company went through some layovers or reorg, and um, I survived that and got a job at OMD, mm-hmm. 
and I'm, I'm leaving a bit of this the detail out, but there's some amazing people that helped along the way, uh, including Tiffany R. Warren. Mm -hmm. And so OMD was that next job, and that became a little more serious. So now I'm like, there's somebody not necessarily that's reporting to me, but mm -hmm. I'm kind of managing a bit. Yeah. Um, and then you know I'm having to realize like, oh, I really don't like media planning, like mm -hmm. or digital media. Planning. Oh, this is not, that's not what I want to do. It's yeah. That creative. Um, and so I move out, I quit, and then I go on this campaign that's putting up stickers. This is like, I guess now 2009. Yeah, 2009. Yeah, I remember that. I just started doing at Kenji Summers, follow the future, because my blog was called The Future is Bright. Yeah, I remember. Because I, I, I saw Diddy do it, and uh, I saw somebody post about it on the internet. I was like, oh, this is dope. Like, you know, social media, but in real life, people are going to follow you on yeah. their phones. That's all I thought. I was like, yo, Diddy could do it. I could do it. So I went to the sticker spot, got stickers printed. And my, my my goal was just to go to all the places I wanted to work at and put the stickers up. <laughs> Hoping that, lo and behold, maybe one person. You yeah. know, so I went to Anomaly. I went to Whiting Kennedy. Yeah. I went to Ogilvy. All the neighborhoods, I posted stickers outside of their office. And then uh, one dope. sticker I put up was outside of BBH, which ironically became my next job. Yeah. Um, and shout out to, to Lincoln Stevens for inviting me to a four It's the brother. Yeah. yeah, my man. He's really helping a lot of people get jobs or start careers in creative marketing, right? Yeah. You know, and advertising. And so I got this job because I met this CEO at the time of BBH, Eric Anderson, and was like, yo, I really want to work for you, man. I'm a strategist. I've done this media stuff. It's not that creative. I know I can be a creative, you know, um, you know, Swiss Army knife for you. You gotta <laughs> hire me. You gotta give me a chance. The only thing is, they had just posted um, job openings mm. online on Twitter. So I'm like, all right, perfect. Like I'm using Twitter to get my name out. I told him about it. He's like, you know what? You know what? And this dude's like up here at this time. Like, yeah. Thirty-one year old CEO. That's wild. You know, he's our age, running a, a like the hottest ad agency at the time. That's wild. With the best strategist, which is the department I wanted to get into. So, and he was a strategist himself. He was like, yo, what I like about you, you're an instigator. And I think that gets <laughs> a, a lot of our friends, right? Or That's a lot a of fact. our peers. Like, we don't, we don't take what people give us. Yeah. You know? Sometimes if it's enough, we'll take it. Yeah. But we're going to be like, yo, we really want this. Right. So, you know, I'm going to take this because out of respect, but I really want this. And I yeah. think that's what makes people feel like, all right, cool. Well, they're going to want more out of the work. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's what's going to make the work more creative. And in advertising, it's about creative. Yeah. Before about before it's about strategy, before it's about end production, it's about creativity. Yeah. There is we don't work, you know, as a producer, as a strategist, we don't work without the creatives. Yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of people get lost in that. A lot of agencies get lost in that. A lot of people that are running the agencies get lost in that because it's a, you know, for them it's about the bottom dollar and how can they please the client versus being a great pre creative partner to do something dope. You know what I mean? Nice. And I think that that's just kind of like how brands should work and what they when they work with agencies and they work with smaller consultants when they work with artists and creatives i think that that's the better approach is my opinion yeah but you know that's a that's an easier approach versus just kind of like service you know and it's it, the service is great but it's just like hey you're my client so i have to kiss your ass and do whatever you say like no like you know they're hiring you for a reason so be a partner yeah yeah and i think it's important man you know I think those companies do a lot of good for the work because they have all that money, you know? Yeah. And many of them are owned by holding companies which have even more money. But I think it's important for people inside those places, again, like where I started with, is to be the creative marketers on the inside. Um, and then have our peers on on the outside um, or in, in the creative, like, 
cauldron, as I'll, I'll put it, like yourself, I think, you know, bringing up culture, bubbling up culture. So mm. when it's time for, you know, whether it's a Nike or somebody else to, you know, look for like, yo, what's really going to help our objectives this quarter? They, they know where to look. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important for both to make themselves available yeah. to one another. So you were at BBH. Yeah, so BBH. BBH. It was fun. I remember because you, you did BBH, you were staff, and then you were like, yeah, I'm good. I'm done. I'm out of here. And then for like another two years, you were like there. You were like lingering. Yo, you were I like, mean, it, it, you were rest, freelancing or like a strategic consultant. Yeah, rest or whatever. in peace, Griffin Farley. I mean, I don't think anybody at, at my age or at our age at the time was getting like an opportunity like that. From the yeah. strategists I knew, everybody was like dying to work full time. Like, they, yeah. And you know, it we, was crazy because you were like detached but still attached. Yeah. But like you were like, yeah, I'm good. Like I'm chilling. Like I don't yeah. gotta go. I'm like, what? Like I need right. that. How yeah, did you get like, this? How, how, do you, how? how do you go to the office? once or twice a week but then you were still working from home like you and know still getting a nice a nice it bag it was a good bag yeah it was a good bag it was not an air bag by any means <laughs> you know for that time and uh so rest in peace griffin farley he was my mentor i think oh he passed yeah oh yeah, man he passed from Sorry cancer. um yeah that was a few years ago but um his memory lives on there's a uh there is a initiative that bbh does every year to mm. kind of identify top young talent and strategy as though brilliant minds i believe is what or beautiful okay. minds is what it's called okay and uh so i think his spirit lives on and i think his spirit lives on through everybody that he he affected and mostly it was like young strategist planners looking for just guidance because many times like if you're a strategist or planner and you're like young like under age of 30 mm. you're not given a blueprint there's no you know here's how you do this yeah and there's not a lot of people that look to mentor because they're always like strategists by the name of by our def, kind of definition we're like ephemeral we're like trying to help creatives and we're like trying to make sure the production is getting done the right way and then we're trying to drink and breathe and devour culture so there's not a lot of time to give back yeah. but he made time and i really felt that shaped me and i still have some books and all his decks and mm. you know he created this discipline called propagation planning which mm. is something that I'm not trying to like continue the legacy of, and I think it's brilliant because propagation planning comes from the word propagation, which the um, Catholic Church came up with, I believe, in the 17th century mm. to help uh, counter the rise in um, Protestantism, mm. right? Which is a protest religious movement, and uh, it worked. You know, they went around the world and they they designated certain um, missionaries to propagate the Catholic faith. And I look at it now with what we do for Propagate work. in the sense propagate of... Like, okay, propagate meaning organically spread. Right, okay. Right, propagate also can be associated with the word propaganda. Yeah. Uh, which is not necessarily a negative thing. It's been used negatively yeah. um, by cults of personality. But the idea is just to shift the thinking and the behavior of people in a certain direction. Yeah. So shift the masses, which is what we're trying to do, right? Right. For the better, better. You good vibes only elevate the culture, all yeah. these things that we talk about on a daily basis. So Griffin really threw the alley to me, mentored me, provided me opportunities, helped me get a flexible work role when I wasn't working full time for BBH. Mm -hmm. Worked on the invention of a new company called Playground Sessions, which was mm -hmm. a company designed to help a software on a company designed to help you learn music. And the first instrument was um, the piano. So you, you, that was when you were doing the YouTube thing. Yeah. I was and you, did you learn? You learned how to play piano. Yeah, right? I learned how to play a little bit. Play like I want you back, by Jackson. Right. Okay. I remember that. So how how successful was that? Um, you know, because I remember that whole thing. So you know, um, 
So the good thing is I, I, I know it's still around. Like I know their thing was how do we get major distribution? So my major contribution other than being a community manager and like launching all the social platforms, including YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, was um, going out to LA. Mm. And because of our network, you know, with Ad Color, I was out there and I went to a CAA event. Mm. And because of the people I knew or people that knew me, they're like, oh, you should meet the folks from CAA. And I did. And there was a guy who worked in advertising, Des Marzette. Mm. I think he's now back with uh, Jordan Brand on the agency side. Okay. At the time he's working at CAA as an agent. Okay. He was like, yeah, you need to meet this woman. Like, she, she needs to hear about Playground Sessions. So I elevator pitched her out. And then, like, a week later, I get a call like, yo, Quincy Jones' um, agent wants to talk about Playground Sessions. What? Session. So then me, the, the community manager, just the low guy on the totem pole, is like setting up a meeting with Quincy Jones' team mm. to talk about Playground Sessions. Fast forward, Quincy becomes a founder and an investor wow. in Playground Sessions. And that's then I've already left to go to the new thing or the next thing. <laughs> but that's, that was my last thing, like hopefully legacy with those guys over there. Uh, that team was amazing opportunity and experience to work on creating a brand and yeah. from scratch. And um, then that took me into this weird world of freelance, bro. You, you've been I know there. the way, yeah. yeah. And it's like, you're, you can never really catch yourself. You never have footing. You're always like, all right, this is about to finish. Well, I got to line the next thing up. Yep. Or I want to go travel, so I, I got a budget enough to be able to come back with enough of a bag ready for yeah. me. <laughs> it's a lot, man. And I think everybody should go through it for a little period, at least, to know what it's like on the other side. Yeah. Know what it's like not to have full-time, full insurance. Yeah. You know, it's, man, it's crazy. It's real. You make next month. Where you gonna put your stuff? Storage? How you gonna pay for storage? You gonna have man? I went through all that. Are, all that stuff. You yeah, know? still going through that. Still like, going through it. Likewise, and um, so I did that. Had a few interesting gigs, um, and then you know, all of that time, you know, from BBH to then, I was working on something called Passport Project, mm -hmm. and it's all about just getting young people their first passport. Yeah, you know, my belief that experiences are the new assets. <laughs> And preach, preach about it. Like, I mean, that's, you know, that's, I, I agree as well. And, and we, you know, we talked about this a couple of months ago when I came into the office is, you know, what sort of, from a brand perspective, and I'm not, you know, saying to any brand specifically, but, you know, thinking how we work in marketing creatively and how we work with, you know, for you, how you work with Nike, for me, how I work with the clients that I work with is like, what sort of experiences are you creating that are going to affect your objectives and help you reach these objectives you know what i mean so it's not it's not always like what 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 happens so that people buy more shoes or whatever the case may be because that's going to continue to happen you know what i mean and and but what sort of experiences are you creating to affect that so now they think about the brand differently and they continue to do this over time versus just like this one thing that you're putting out that's mm -hmm. new you know and i always talk about it like cadillac's done it with cadillac house samsung's done it with 837 lululemon has done it mm -hmm. um with hub 17 pepsi's done it with cole house now recently mm -hmm. um so there's a bunch of brands that are kind of catching on and you know in, in the next couple of years i think that's kind of going to be the the commonplace thing is like brands just kind of have these places you can come hang out work from work out from drink coffee kind of get all the like essential things that you need to just kind of like kick it with somebody and build yeah. from a from a one-on-one -on -one perspective and then on at the same time like have programming that is incentive for you so that now there's like another level of connectivity yeah. that's just my opinion yeah. i could be completely wrong i mean i think you're forecasting it fairly accurately i mean these retail environments that we all are used to from being kids and our parents are just like well i gotta go to this i gotta go to macy's and shop now guys is like yo i actually don't need to work from nine to five in an office anymore so yeah 
where am I going to spend my time? Well, you're not going to spend it in Macy's shopping. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, they count on everybody who works nine to fives feeling like they can take some retail therapy. Yeah. And spend some bread to make them feel better about themselves or relieve stress. So now that people like us are out here and, you know, whether we work inside a company or on the peripheral, we realize the real thing is how do we create a blended or balanced work life mm -hmm. and how do places like Soul House serve us as opposed to us serving like the Macy's. Of the yeah. world. I'm just using Macy's as an example. It's not to say that they're doing the wrong thing by any means, but I think now we're in a privileged position to be able to create the future. Yeah. While in the past we kind of were led by people who probably didn't care much about our paradigm or way of thinking. I mean, man, you're, you, you're touching on a lot of things and I, we're not going to have enough time to go into everything, but like, you know, you kind of have these thoughts of, you said talking about we're in a place where they can kind of create the future, right? Like you, I remember back in the day, you used to always talk about, and I don't know if it was Tim Ferriss um, who did it, who coined the term, but you used to always talk about like the concept of lifestyle design, you know, and, and in, in summation, it's essentially just like creating the life that you want to live, mm -hmm. you know, and being able to put, bring in the things that you want in your life and having, the, and not like things as in like consumption, it, that's part of it, yes, but like all the things that you want in your life. So, you know, I think that in the marketing and in the brand space and even creatively, right? Like creatives and brands and everybody has to do more of that and think about that concept of life. And I even remember that because like you used to talk about it all the time and I didn't really get it. And then I got it, you know, at a time when I was like freelancing and like things were cool. And I was like, you know what? I can kind of like create this life I want to live. Yeah. And it's not about like faking the funk, yeah. you know, affirming yourself, affirming what you want to do, making things happen. Like, you know, that's really, really important, the things that we have to do. Yeah. I mean, and, and even, like, you always have, like, got it, right? Like, to me, and I guess I don't I think we're going to have, we're hardly going to have enough time. I might have to get you back for a second, <laughs> a second, a second joint. But, you know, like, you've always kind of, you did Passport Project, and yeah. that was, what inspired you there? Yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, I'm glad you asked, man. I mean, it's eight years since I got my passport. Yeah. And bro, I swear to God, Tokyo was the place I wanted to go to first. We're here. We, yeah. ain't, we ain't even supposed to be here. Yeah, look at God work, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there was 2009, 2008, when I heard the song Paris of Tokyo. And yeah. It was remixed with Lupe Fiasco. Lupe Fiasco song featuring Pharrell, Sarah Green, and Q-Tip. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, I don't remember people where it was like a, uh, like a hip hop honors special, and you know, Lupe was supposed to learn like uh, a song by Tribe and yeah. perform as a tribute, and he kind of messed up one of the lines and there was a big like outlook. <laughs> it was, it, you know, come on, for real, like it should have never been that serious, serious, but not serious, you know. Yeah. And it's a big deal for me, I'm a yeah. Tribe and fan, right now, yeah. it's like Tribe is like the center of all things, so it's a beautiful like 360 moment as I talk about this. So Q, I don't think, was even that upset. He was probably more upset with like Lupe being like, well, I didn't even listen to Tribe growing up. I listened to the NWA, which, like, who knows? I, but I feel like he probably did yeah. listen to Tribe, you know? Like, we all did. Yeah. And so come back to this moment, now they're doing a song together. So yeah. it's like, this is what hip-hop was about. Hip-hop was always about bringing people together, people from different backgrounds. Like, it originated in the Bronx, where you had rival gangs, you know what I'm saying? Throughout the Bronx, and there was a killing of um, a peacemaker yeah. from one of the gangs named Benji or Black Benji and that one moment made all the other gangs come together and decide yo we gotta stop doing this, this is foolish let's start hanging out and having fun again yeah. and they started having parties in the park and house parties and there was music and dancing and graffiti and 
that's that's the origin of all of that, right? So yeah, man, coming to Paris to Tokyo rooms, I'm listening to this song and I remember Lupe starts out, yo, if you ever been to if you from little Haiti, get a passport. Yeah. If you from the five boroughs, get a passport so you can see the world. Yeah. And I was like, listen, I was like, yeah. But it was when Pharrell said, fly to Paris and end up in Tokyo. Let's start a coalition so even hey, the broke could go. go. It's like, Poosh. And I was like, all right, I got to get my passport tomorrow. Didn't go to work the next day. So wait, I'm at, um, I think, me Edge at the time. Get my passport. Applied for. <laughs> yeah. So I do the paperwork. Process. Paid one hundred thirty-five dollars. Yeah. Less than a remastered version of the Air Jordan, <laughs> um, or anything else you can get out there, and I get that passport applied for, and I get the passport in the mail a few months later. And then just like how this trip happened, where I'm like, Jason's like, Yo, I'm going to Tokyo. Like, Shiro. I'm like, Yo, I just so happen to have vacation <laughs> days, and I just yeah. sent in the days to go on vacation. I was bet I'm gonna go. So now I'm here, but. Then, a different group of friends were like, yo, we found this $300 round trip ticket from New York to Barcelona. <laughs> and I was like, I'm there. Yeah. And they were like, yo, it's around your birthday. And I was like, oh, that's sick. So I turned, I turned my Jordan year, I turned two, three. Oh, wow, wow. You know what I'm saying? I turned two, three in Barcelona. That's sick. On Las Alamblas, you know, enjoying everything <laughs> with, the, with the homies Julius Dunn and yeah. Tiffany Edwards and so many others and yeah man that, that really blew everything up for me man and then it really made me feel like alright cool passport is something I need to do because I don't think we all have a passport like at the time I was like I don't think most of us have a passport right. and I was and like they didn't. I, I didn't that. I used agency resources did some research and found out about 70% of Americans didn't have a passport Mm. And before the year prior, when you needed a passport to go to Canada and the islands in Mexico, 80, 85% didn't have a passport. And then you stack on a layer of African-Americans, which we are both. Right. That goes, that went up to 90% pre-Western um, Hemisphere Travel Initiative um, or Travel Act. And then you take it to the, the next year, it, it, it decreased or went up a little bit in terms of passport ownership. But black people were still at 80, 85% not having a passport. Yeah, that's a small... Like 80% of 11 million is a lot of people not with a passport. Yeah. And so I looked at it like, man, like, all right, for my people racially, but for my people as Americans, yo, we need to get a passport. My my people as youth, like, we need passports, man, because there's so many opportunities out there. And we know yeah. this now, like, we're going to places like Goro, we're going to places like United Arrows, we're getting inspired, we're meeting people, we're creating relationships, we're potentially building business relationships and opportunities but it only comes from like being able to like pull up yeah get out pull up you know and that was that passport life and you know that's really what allowed me to be able to see all the opportunities that I wasn't necessarily really um, aware of prior yeah and you started that and you know that was before travel noir that was before it was like you know a thing that was really before, like you, and that's that's what I would say. You're onto something. Like that was before the big millennial travel boom. Right. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like nobody was really kind of like, and so you had like you doing that. Then you had Jocelyn Trav with travel etiquette. You know what I mean? We were all in like these different circles, and we're all these different people of color, like traveling the world and or doing something dope. And I was just like, man, this is all dope. This is all dope. And it was all natural. It was all right. organic. Like right. it wasn't any like GMO stuff. It was, you know, 
Josh Trav and us, we all knew each other. So yeah. it was like, like when I did my first like meeting to kind of talk with some of the creatives that were in my network that were like all young and we were millennials. It was like, yo, I want to do this thing to help people. Like I'm not even trying to make bread. I got a job, you know, I don't business, but like, I know this needs to happen because it's the numbers say so. And I remember Josh Trav pulled up, it was at, uh, Tribeca Grand, I think mm. it was, was what it was called at the time, at a hotel in the city. And they were like, yo, who with it? Like, we're also starting something called Travel Etiquette. And I was like, perfect. And I think sometimes peers, like, when you hear somebody has something similar, you get pissed. You're like, oh, man. Yeah. They got my, no, it was like, no, perfect. perfect. Yeah, it's, it's community. Because you're reaching an audience that I'm not going to reach. And I think by doing it my way, where it's like more of like, a for, for non-profit or charity or give back, I'm going to reach an audience that you may not reach. But then we were going to come connect. And then we did eventually get to connect several times, you yeah. know, and um, and help the causes, right, of yeah. both of ours. Um, so that was beautiful. And, um, you know, No Madness and Evita, Evita Robinson Dynamic, probably one of the most important people in the travel space today, like period, yeah. any race, any gender, anything, you know. She really genuinely has made this her life's work, I think. And yeah. Um, there's something to be said about that. And and the Travel Noir, I, I think it's incredible because yeah. it just shows like the growth of all of our thinking now, like to where they have a business model where like they have for profit trips. Yeah, you know they're, they're I mean? making they're making money now. Which allows them to sustain the work. Yeah. And I think it brings in more particularly African Americans and hopefully and I gotta pull some some stats soon, but hopefully that number's gone up, right? Yeah. In terms of passport ownership. Yeah, that's sick. I mean you know, I think that, again, you've always kind of been on to something and even like, you know, we're not going to have time to go into how you got, you know, your your next moves and even like bringing you to where you are now at Nike. But I think that you're always on to something. And from a creative perspective, you always took an interesting approach. So even looking at like what you did and that's kind of like as a, as a brother, as a friend, you know what I mean? Being involved in certain things and being involved in not certain things. I, I still remember moderate snobbery. And you kind of like approach it like you put me on to the... You put me on to the to the, to the trade show. I never would have went to a trade show. You were like, yo, I think we need to be here and look at these brands. This brand's dope. Have you ever been to Capsule? No, you should go to Capsule because it's dope. And then we went to the liquor store. Yeah, I didn't know right. nothing about J. Nice Crew because I would have cared less. Like, you know what I mean? I did like clothes and it was yeah. just, it was a perfect timing. And then we kind of formed that thing. We did something downtown and it was yeah. sick. And we had, yeah, you know what I mean? Legendary, bro. Is, like, you've always have like had forward thinking. And, you know, from a creative perspective, I think that there's like value in that. You know, like like you said, you're, you you do creative marketing, but then also like you get the business side of things. And, you know, there's there's these sort of people are anomalies. You know what I mean? No pun intended. But these sort of people are anomalies because everybody, unfortunately, doesn't get the chance or doesn't isn't isn't blessed with those sort of gifts and capabilities or talents to kind of think on both sides and kind of have a like a business. And I'm I'm gonna say it wrong, like neurally in the brain, what the two sides of the brain are, but you know, everybody, like, there's a creative side and there's a not creative side, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it really depends on how you're wired. And I always just kind of a, admired, you know, just kind of like you start something and you kind of get it going. Like even talking, I remember that Twitter campaign, yo. Yeah, I remember yeah, like right. the at Kenji's and I wasn't, on, I just got on Twitter yeah. in 2014. Like yeah. I was a late adopter. Right. I knew about it. I knew that we can do ads and you know, I knew about the space, but it was just something I was like, I don't really see the value in me being on here. Right. You know what I mean? You kind of were always an early adopter and getting onto it. And even like how you went about doing Passport Project before you changed it to Passport Life. And yeah. you know, like what, it inspired, so the ins inspiration was a song. Yeah. 
So the inspiration, like, that goes back into creative, right? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? The inspiration came from artistry. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the body of work kind of being created. Absolutely. And him kind of talking about, let's go to sleep in Paris, wake up in Tokyo, have a drink in New Orleans. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, he's going around the world. So that's even, like, aspirational and inspirational for people that don't have passports. Yeah. I think that's really, really dope. And I think that, you know, just, again, like, what what, I guess, within your journey of everything, what would you say has inspired you the most with all the different opportunities that you had to keep going and to like try new things. Cause there's been mm -hmm. times like with Passport Project, you, I think you kind of jumped out the plane, you took True a that. risk there. True that. Even when you were done freelancing and you just kind of solely did Passport Project for a little bit without doing anything yeah, else. Right. And yeah. you know, it seemed like that was the, as an entrepreneur and as a person that got your 501c3 status, like, yeah. you know, what kind of kept you going in the midst of like the challenges that you faced? Well, I knew I didn't want to go backward. Right. That's that's what I remember. I was like, man, I never want to have an ad advertising agency job again. Right. And I haven't. Um, not to say that I wouldn't have one again in the yeah. future, but it would be on totally different terms. Right. 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 Flexibility, flexibility, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> we got an inside joke from yeah. the other day. We were talking about flexibility, so that's what we're laughing at. Yeah, man. So, yeah, I didn't want to go backwards, and I realized the only way to move forward is, is to take a calculated risk, you know, somewhere in a space that you don't know very much about where you're gonna land. And I think I've landed somewhere fairly interesting and it allows me to meet more peers mm -hmm. and young people, which I'm really like, you know, I not that I'm not a young person, but when I was younger, I always used to, to cry about how, oh man, the such and such is of the world, they don't wanna reach out, they're not trying to mentor me or uh, uh, uh. and now I'm like, I don't even gotta like think about it because I could just be the change. Like I can just be that person that I didn't feel like the other cats were. Yeah. You know, and it, hopefully, if anyone's out there and they listen in the same way, you you say, yo, if you were creative, you need help, you starving, hit me up. Same way, if like you know, creative, yes, but like also if you're a creative marketer, yo, hit me up. Might not have a job for you, but I but might be able build. to have yeah, I might have some grain of something that can grow into something and then you might have something to feed me like yeah. there might be you might be yo cans like there's this new thing happening in retail and got Botswana and yeah. I'm like oh I'm gonna pull up or at least I'm gonna learn about it yeah and then you know now I know you as that person that knows about the stuff that I don't know about yeah so now I'm gonna hit you up and that's how I think I became valuable to the, the older people around me was like listen I'm going to speak to you like an adult <laughs> but I'm gonna be with the the with, the homies, yeah, you know with the homies, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be with the with homies. the homies. Yeah, I'm gonna be with these kids, hanging out, doing what kids do. Right. And uh, I try to find those those kids that are also trying to have that balance. I already do. Right. We're we're okay. I know we're crushed on time, so you know we can't go. I, I'm definitely gonna have to have you back for a part two, uh, just because I think there's a lot more and a lot more about your story that I think you know, lends a very, very unique perspective. But then also that, you know, as we're kind of talking about that common thread, that can help somebody, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So somebody really might be listening to this starving and saying like, yo, I was, I want to get out of this advertising and do, and they don't know how to figure it out. Right. And, and it, that's what we're here for. The last question I have just before we, we, we get out of here, because we got to make some moves. What, what does being a creative mean to you? Hmm. Yeah, you know, earlier I mentioned about like, you know, I'm doing this for something higher. Yeah. You know, and I think we're all made in the likeness and image of a creator. So yeah. being creative means expressing that in which the creator is. You know, I think that creator comes into this world through us. Yeah. But only when we hollow ourselves out to be a vessel. Hmm. 
easier said than done. Yeah. Much easier said than done. And it's a daily decision. Yeah. And uh, living to make. Hmm. So for me, that's what being creative is, man. And, and it can express itself v- through all the senses. Yeah. Even the senses we don't know about. Like somebody put me on to, I think there was a, um, I was going through a, a uh, I don't know, it was a shaman. A shaman was kind of reading my charts and stuff. A brother too at that. And he was like, you know, I know you like you know, a lot about ancient Egyptian history and culture. I heard, he's like, I'm, I was aware that, he's typing about this, that the ancient Egyptians had 2,000 senses. Yeah. And I was like, what? We barely have five. Yeah. You know, and they're not even that, like, accurate. Like, they're all dulled. So I'm like, the idea of you have 2,000 or 200 or 20 or, you know what I mean, just two more than what we have now means you're going you're gonna to experience in the world. You're going to yeah. create differently. And I think there's people we see throughout time that I'm pretty sure they had more than, you know, five senses. And because they do, they're able to create and be a creative in a way in which other people aren't, and so those other people follow them. Hmm. So I think we need more leaders. Yeah. We need more creative <laughs> leaders. Not, not followers, right? No, nah, yep, nah, nah, not really, man. And if you're going to follow, follow for the reason that you're going to become a leader. You know, you're going to humble yourself at the feet of the person who has the wisdom that you want to receive. And then you're going to eventually become the leader of your own. I, I, I continue to have to do that. It's very hard for me at times. Sometimes I feel like, oh, if I'm well-spoken and I can spout this information, then I got all I need. I don't need to learn anything else. But that's really why you need to. So it's not form over substance. Yeah. But it's substance within form. Yeah. And that's what I think when you look at like Japan many of the places we go, it's substance within form, like Goro, like, dude. It's, it's together, there's it, a duality. It's together and you love it and you feel it and, and you go to a place like Neighborhood, which is different, but like the fact that the first thing you, you that happens to you, the scent, the scent, you know, so that's that, uh, I believe it's the olfactory, it's the sensing, the smell sense. You're breathing in this scent that you can't even describe and they don't have the, the name of the, it's a neighborhood sense. And now you're like, well, that moment you smelt that is now the same feeling that you receive when you look at your neighborhood baklava or neighborhood wallet or, you know, you think about going through the streets of Harajuku. You're thinking about neighborhoods. And when you go back, you're going to shop in neighborhood. Or when yeah. you go to your friend, you're going to tell them, yo, you need to go shop in neighborhood. So it's those things, like using your senses, that really make you creative. So I think creativity really means using everything you have to the best of your ability mm-hmm. and seeking out more to which make will make you better. And seeking out sometimes through people that you may not be expecting it from. Hmm. You might find a lot more wisdom in the, in the, into the panhandler, in the panhandler than you will the, the sea suit. The guy with the suit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay, that's dope, man. I appreciate that. That's love, yo. That's love. Where where can we find you at social? Which what's your handle? Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Where sure are you thing. at? Instagram, Twitter is at Kenji Summers. Yeah. And Snapchat is Kaba Kenji. Kaba Kenji. How do you spell that? K A V A K E N J I. Awesome. And I'll have the at Kenji Summers in the, in the, the show notes, uh, the podcast notes for everybody to see and subscribe to. Yo, man, I'm super grateful to have you again. We don't have enough time. We we got to make some moves, but um. Uh, for the day and here in Tokyo, but I'm grateful to have you and grateful to even have this dialogue and we'll, we'll, we'll circle back on it. 
Again, thank you guys. Special, actually, I want to give a special shout out to, to our friends at Pip Snacks and Pip's Corn. They've been a, a great partner here in Tokyo and then also even uh, providing for just creative. And this is, you know, one of our many moments is kind of having this creative dialogue. So special thanks to Pipcorn, special thanks to Marcus Troy, um, Maskedamini, travel with us um, and, and everybody else that's been helping. And again, don't forget to leave any notes, leave any comments, have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. My email is ian at end.co. Instagram at creative underscore Ian. Hit me up. You need some help with something. Let's chat about it. However, I can help. And um, stay tuned. We have some other dope creatives that are here with us that I'm going to have some conversations with. And then we'll circle back with Kenzie at some point, whether it's here, whether it's in New York. Maybe we might be somewhere else in the world. Um, but thank you guys for, for listening. And uh, until next time, see you.